2: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Anglo-Italian podcast for today's Monday Night Review. My name is Adam and as you can tell there's no Rory but some people say there's no party but I say otherwise because I've got a few friends that have joined me this weekend to take us through all of the Serie A and Premier League. So let me introduce for his pod debut a really good TikTok account. He talks about Fiorentina quite bluntly and to the point, but I love it for him. We've got Andrea from the Fiorentina fan account. Andrea, how are you doing this evening? Good, thanks.
0: How
1: are you? Thank you for having me today. Well, no,
2: it's, it's, you know, I'm glad to have you on this pod. Uh, We don't get many Viola fans as we spoke offline, but it's great to have your opinions (laughs) and thoughts on this weekend. And we also welcome back Ben Hoeman again talking about Spurs and endless Premier League chat as well. Ben, how are you doing this evening? Good, I'm good thank you Adam.
1: I'm still upbeat even after yesterday's result. Um, Trust in the process as always but yeah great to be back on.
2: I'm sure we'll delve into that shortly as well so uh guys if you're online watching us make sure you get us a few questions in as we go along uh we'll be talking about the big games that happen across both leagues so we had the city liverpool match obviously we'll talk about ben and your beloved spurs obviously we'll then dive into a bit of Serie A as well so we've got inter nuventus We've got a few debuts to talk about as well across both leagues and there was a few goal contenders of the season as well garnacho seems to spring to mind and michael lee um i can't think of too many in Serie A this weekend i don't know andrea if you can think of any but um yeah we might have to kind of reminisce ourselves on that as well um so yeah guys let's start off by talking about man city and liverpool um If we start off by just talking about the game itself, I mean, from my point of view, it was kind of a one that was really balanced. It didn't seem like anyone had the full intensity in terms of the match, but Liverpool seemed to have a lot of mistakes in them. In particular, Alisson, I thought it was very lucky with some of the decision making for this match. Haaland, obviously, um, breaking that record of quickest 50 goals in the Premier League. I had to kind of try and think who was the other player. And I think it was Andy Cole before that. So um, that kind of gave a bit more nostalgia to it. Um, But yeah, I suppose key questions for me, from my point of view, was was Klopp and Liverpool lucky? If I kind of start with yourself, Ben, how, how did you feel the game kind of went? And do you feel Klopp and Liverpool were lucky?
1: I don't think I don't think they were. My kind of takeaway from it is that Liverpool, it wasn't kind of the swashbuckling Liverpool that we've mm-hmm. seen since Klopp's kind of been there. And I think that was partly down to the fact that, you know, we, we've seen Liverpool go to the Etihad in the past and kind of play more on the front foot than they have done. I think there's been a couple of 2-2 draws. Um, there was one towards the back end of a couple of seasons ago when they were fighting against each other for the title where they were both throwing punches and it was a really exciting game. And I think because of the fact that Saturday was... It was the 12.30 kickoff. Both teams had a lot of internationals. It just felt a little bit flat from the start. And Mm. I don't think Liverpool ever kind of got into... I thought their midfield settled into the game quite well. But I don't think they... um, It wasn't the exciting performance that maybe people would have expected from Liverpool, given the fact that they haven't, you know, they've shown in previous years, they're more than willing to go to the other big teams and really kind of, you know, stamp their authority. But I actually thought, my takeaway from it was that I think Liverpool, I think the reason that Liverpool are the main genuine title challenges to City is because they're the only team, I think, in the Premier League, other than City, who have that ability to go through the gears just like that and kind of pick their moment. And I feel like Mm. that's exactly what they did. They withstood a lot of pressure from City. You know, Alisson, despite the mistakes he made, he still had a fair bit to do. I thought Liverpool defended well at times. Um, Other times they looked a little bit exposed, but you do well not to get exposed by City. And I think that Mm. kind of, I know, I'm sure we'll come on and talk about Trent in a bit more detail, but I think Trent Mm. kind of epitomised that for me because there will be people out there that say he got absolutely ran ragged by Doku, but I think you're going to be have to be a hell of a fullback not to be run <laughs> ragged by that kind of player. And I think yeah, he got dribbled past like eight times or whatever it was, but it wasn't like it didn't feel like that in the game. Like and mm. again, like he was, you know, I talked about Liverpool picking their moment, and he did exactly that. And I thought Liverpool were probably good value for the draw in the end. I thought City were a better team mm. for the first sixty minutes or so, but yeah. I think Liverpool every time they did go forward and when they picked their moment, they always looked like they were going to score or could score. So I mm. thought it was a fairly fair result and I, I,
2: I think it was a good, I think they got their game plan spot on, to be honest. Okay, cool. And Andrea, I thought personally, like Pep's reluctance to make a sub was potentially costing City and it inevitably it seemed like it, but then I had to remind myself who was on the bench for City and they didn't really have too many options. Um, so that probably played a little part in it, but one of the things I think they kind of did really well was exploit their three-man midfield from Liverpool because Shabaslai had to do kind of a man-marking job on Bernardo Silva and he was kind of being dragged out. So Akanji kind of tried to step up to do that Johnny Stone's role. I mean, how did you kind of see that kind of dominance play out in your kind of head? Do you think City po- or try to play it in the right manner in that respect?
0: Yeah, I agree. I think they did, um, especially like you said, with the three-man midfield. Um, I do think, though, I kind of agree with Ben, I thought Liverpool mm. done quite well. I actually think, um, in particular, in the attacking phase, I think that there was a lot of times a slobber slide through the middle was kind of through, or Nunes, and um, I think it was mm. just a bit of hesitation in the final third at times. Again, I think it could be to the international break, you know, or, you know, it's a tense game, no one wants to lose. Um, there was even particular chance when Nunes was through, like building the attack and then he thought he had like the referee was going to stop the game because of a handball and he knows he hasn't handballed it but in nature you know you stop and just like if he carried on you know that split second you know but um in general play i think liverpool um done really well um it's just yeah that final third it was kind of lacking and not and not normally like liverpool Liverpool are normally really um, clinical and they you know they take advantage um but either team I think would be happy. Both teams I think would be happy with the draw in the end. I think it was a fair result. But yeah, I think Liverpool in particular should could have gone into one that could have won that game if they, you know, that final third. But I still think City, yeah, I think if Pep maybe changed it up a little bit in that in that last kind of twenty minutes, you know, you never know. But um I think in the end it just it fell flat, especially in that last yeah, yeah the second half. So I just think I don't think even a slight change may have not made a difference anyway,
2: but yeah.
0: Um it was a it was an interesting game, but yeah, it's just it just fell flat, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm gonna push you guys on this one. So Allison and the uh famous foul. I I don't know, I saw Ghost maybe hurting his foot. I don't know about you guys. Um, but I didn't think Ruben Diaz's goal should have been disallowed personally I know there's been a few different kind of takes around Akanji and his kind of movements if I start off with yourself Andre did you think that was a foul?
0: It's one of those ones like I personally I don't think it's a foul I think goalies get too much protection but Mm. with the games how the games run and how it's done I just it it, for me it's 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 always given so I'm not surprised they chalked it off but um, yeah it's just He did have his uh, hand on him a little, but then it's like, if you're jumping, where are you going to put your arms? You know, he was right next to him, you know, it's like, and football is a contact sport. So you should, you're always going to have some sort of, you know, contact at least. And it wasn't really any aggressive or, you know, any contact that would have pushed him or stopped him from getting the ball either. So um, in theory, no, but I I do understand why they did did, uh, rule out eventually. I think we all kind of do
1: in the end. Yeah. And what about you, Ben? How did you see it? Yeah, I completely agree. I I I think personally that it should have stood, but it's one of those mm. ones where you can kind of see why because like goalkeepers just get too much protection. Like they're more mm. than willing to kind of. I I think back to the Andre Onana incident against Wolves at the start of the season that wasn't <laughs> given as a penalty, and you yeah. think that it's almost like it's fine for goalkeepers to come flying out and you know punch through the ball and take players out and take everything with them if they need to. Which again, like. I think that particular, in our example, was a penalty. But I've seen plenty more with goalkeepers where it's like, if you got to go, you're going to take the kitchen sink. And I think it's fine as long as you know you get to the ball. Fair enough. But then mm. the slightest touch from a kanji that, you know, like you said, it's a contact sport. If you're going to compete for the mm. ball, then... What, there's, there was nothing in that to make him go down like the way he did I've seen I made a video on it and I had loads of Liverpool fans saying oh you can see he's grabbed his arm it's like we're watching the same replay like I, I can't unless I'm being naive I can't see that like I can't see where he's grabbed him I can't see that he's pulled him over and also I think not to the same extent but I think he was lucky with another one Alisson there was another mm, yeah. one that he kind of then fell over the line or was yeah. sort of shoved over the line that was probably more of a foul but again, yeah. it was just—it was a really weirdly uncharacteristic di- display from Allison. It was almost like he never got over that um, the mistake for the for yeah. the goal. Which again, like, call it a mistake, call it what we want. The, where he tried to play it upfield to Salah, um, yeah, yeah, on course. which Harland ends up scoring from, yeah. is unlucky because I think he just slips over. Yeah, he it's slips one of those ones where his yeah. his foot gives way, and then but he mm. should maybe do better. It's almost like he tries to overcompensate with the save and he gets it wrong and from that moment it was so weirdly like uncharacteristic and mm. it wasn't really a surprise either that he ends i don't know the like i don't know whether he actually is injured but it looked like he pulled something towards the end <laughs> yeah and it was almost just like it was a kind of that calamitous goalkeeper performance where just everything goes wrong his passing out from the back was dreadful like after that like it i said i know the goal was unlucky like that, wasn't it yeah but I didn't think it I didn't think it was a foul I, I, I'm with Andrea I think goalkeepers get a little bit too much protection and I think if it was you know I can't remember with I can't remember whether I came on after the Newcastle Arsenal game or it might have been the week after hmm. um and obviously there was a lot of chat about the uh, Gabrielle and Joel Linton incident and personally I didn't I'm fine with that not being a foul not just because I'm a Spurs fan but I kind of feel like Gabriel was looking for that but when you look at it and Joel Linton's got both hands on his back, And that's not a foul. And then you compare that to the Allison incident on Saturday. It's just that's one of those things where if I was like, you know, where you get asked, like, if you were in charge of football and you could change one rule, what would it be? It would be that with
2: goalkeepers. It's just so frustrating because it's not, for me, it's not a foul. It's an interesting point you made about that goal because I just kind of reminded myself, actually, after that kind of era, if we call it the era from Allison, actually, I felt like the Liverpool midfield really didn't do a job in that instance because Ake kind of walks through that kind of midfield area and slips that ball to Haaland. And yeah. it's interesting, actually, I felt there was actually periods of that game where Liverpool's defence were really on the cusp of making a mistake as well. I felt that like they were being dragged all over the place. And I don't know whether it was because they weren't shielded. It was an interesting point that Rory made actually on Thursday's point, which was I think they're missing that kind of who is going to be that Jordan Henderson going forward to protect her in front of that kind of defence because I think they've been climatized to that for so many years and actually the players they've brought in like Shabboslai and McAllister don't actually naturally do that as part of their games. That's not what they do. It's more a creative kind of role for them too. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do to address it. Um, But we might as well bring on the point around Trent then, Ben, as well because you brought it up initially. Um, Trent, I, I don't dispute what a guy he can be when he's on his game. And I think these kind of games, you can see that he's not going to be defensively great. But when he comes in with that sucker punch, I mean, it kind of illustrates another part of his game that is just getting better and better. But he does seem to still not kind of confirm that midfield role at the moment. For me anyway, he doesn't seem to really own it. I mean, where, where do you see him best place? Is it still at right back or do you think he can forge a career in that kind of midfield? Because he's been doing it for England recently as well. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see come... I kind of posed the question like after
1: the game, what does Trent have to do to make himself indispensable to England mm. in the summer? Because I, I think, like, I I love Trent and I think he's one of those players where you kind of have to take... You, you, know, you know what you're going to get defensively. Sometimes he's not going to be you know, the most solid. Sometimes he's going to be exposed. Mm-hmm. But when you play the kind of attacking football that Liverpool do, you're going to be exposed at points. And yeah. I think, for me, the conversation around his defending gets overblown sometimes. I kind of feel like it's one of those things where it's a label that he can't shake off now. And I think that the unfortunate thing, the unfortunate thing for him is, is that the other English right-backs in Kyle Walker, um, Kyle Walker you'd see as a more of a solid option. But I remember when... Kyle Walker was first coming through at Spurs and he was a liability defensively. Like he had everything going forward, but he had so many mistakes in him. And that was what was kind of holding him back. I think from being a really great Mm. fullback at the time. And then kind of Pochettino went to a five at the back and he played as a wing back and that really brought the best out of him. And then he got his move to city. And ever since then he's kind of matured. So there's no reason to say, although they're kind of a different physical makeup, Walker's always been more about that kind of like, um, he's always had maybe more athleticism to his game. Than Trent. Not to say that Trent's not mm. that, but I think Walker's always been a bit more naturally kind of robust and athletic and up and down compared to Trent. But I genuinely think there's a case to say that Trent is, alongside Kane and Bellingham, one of England's real match winners or potential match winners in that team. Mm. And it's not just because of set pieces or anything like that, because England have got plenty of players that can, can do that, although that is kind of a uh, an asset to his armoury, I guess. But I just think that, like, his quality on the ball. I saw a stat today that he's got, it's something like um, 85, the the number's probably wrong, but it was around like 85 goal contributions as a right back since his career. And I don't know how old Trent is now, 25 maybe? Must be, yeah. 24, 25? That's crazy. Like that's absolutely Mm. crazy. And I think that's one of those things where you can't, I think you kind of just have to let him be and just kind of nurture what he Mm. actually is. And I think it's an interesting point that you make about like what is his best position because I think if you see like the way that modern fullbacks are going, I actually think that right back role is still perfectly suited for him because mm-hmm. you see it a lot at like at Spurs for example with Pedro Porro he plays that inverted fullback role really well where he's able to drift into midfield a lot of the time and there's always yeah. been um, a case to say that he's a bit suspect defense, suspect defensively mm-hmm. but the thing is in that team Liverpool. Tottenham, Man City, those kind of teams that really want to play on the front foot and have a high line and uh, bring bodies into the midfield, you're always going to be exposed going the other way anyway. So I kind of feel like Trent can't really win. It's not about him. I think it's just about Mm. the system that he finds himself in. But for England, it's a different one because the way you're going to get the best out of Trent going forward for England is probably in midfield because Gareth Southgate doesn't play that same way he doesn't really the fullbacks are more kind of traditional fullbacks um unless you maybe played a five at the back and that kind of give you a little bit more freedom for Trent to have a bit more of an attacking role it's it's really interesting I I think there's an argument to suggest that he has to start for England in the Euros I think it's just like I think he's got uh, there's so many players in that England squad, but it's like where, where do you fit them in you could say yeah, that about the likes of Foden the likes of Um, maybe Grealish or Rashford who were just on Mm. that cusp of like being really really key to England and it's all well and good saying they have to start but it's like okay but where and I think Trent is just a bit unlucky in the sense that if England had maybe a different manager who played a little bit more and this isn't a dig at Southgate it's just like if you had more of a progressive manager then maybe he would be able to thrive a little bit more for England and really stake a claim bearing in mind that Rhys James you know I would say like the best ability is availability and he's never available half the time as much as I <laughs> love Rhys James as a player. Yeah. And also Kyle Walker's coming to the end of, this could well be his yeah, last yeah. tournament as well. So I think it'd be really interesting. I, I love Trent. That goal on Saturday was just like, I don't think there's many players who have got that ability to, Benham was saying this about a fullback, to shift and shoot just like that. The way he controlled that ball and without even looking or half volley, it was such a satisfying finish. Um, and in the and in the Adidas Predators as well, that was such like a <laughs> such a good moment for Trent. Like I was really I was really pleased for him. I think, and the celebration kind of said it as well. Like he he has mm. to shut out the noise so much. There's always so much debate around him, and I think I was really pleased for him on Saturday. I thought it was a great goal and a really and a good performance as well.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think you make a few good points there. And one of the things that kind of came through my head was around the fact that he's optionality, isn't he? I think if there was, for example, less talented right backs right now we wouldn't possibly have this debate about right backs and whether Trent Alexander is kind of a fit I mean Andrea I know for Fiorentina we've got a really talented Italian called Coyote who uh, could be one for the future Um but yeah on this Trent debate I mean where, where do you stand do you kind of agree with Ben on this one
0: 100% I think he's a generational talent really I just think he's too good not to play I think um and like honestly, like um, it 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 frustrates me at times to hear the media say about his defensive stuff because honestly, like if if he was like obviously if, if he was Italian, right, just in a different world, he would he would play every game. There would be any question. Like he, yeah, he's just he's unbelievable. He's like he does everything. Um, and again, I just think he's too quick to judge just purely because I think like Ben was saying that Carl Walk and players like that because they're so well rounded, um, in their position that they they're pre- they're preferable. But um, I just think um, Trent, for what he does as well, I think what he brings as well. But then I also think it's down to the manager to kind of like find ways to get him in with, with, with sort of mm. some cover as well. Maybe like a midfielder covers him as he goes forward, yeah. you know, some sort of way to bring him in. And I do understand, though, I think the difficulties with England is because of the way Southgate plays, like Ben was saying, is they're very pragmatic, you know. Um, and it's just the the way they play doesn't, doesn't allow Trent to be that expressive. And if you don't let Trent be expressive and he's not being Trent, like Trent needs to do what he does because when he does that, he's one of the best in the world. Um, so um, he, for me, he's one of the best. I, like it's just, he's so good to watch. I, I love watching him and it's just, yeah, it's a shame that there's this like um attention on him while he's defending because I just feel like, I feel like he does defend well at times as well. I just think sometimes yeah. it's just low in proportion. Like it's like Doku again, like, you, you, you've you got to be someone very special to stop Doku's pace and stuff, you know, probably like a car walker to be fair. But, you know, it's just, you know, some things you can't really say like, yeah, he should be stopping that. Like, you know, sometimes it's just how it is. But yeah, for me, he's just, he's one of the best, probably yeah. one of the best right backs in the world.
2: Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And Doku, I think, was man of the match personally. So you you can't stop him for being that great. And Salvatore in there. Nice having you on the show, Salvatore. He also wishes that a certain Trent was playing for Italy. So uh, no surprises there. So I think, yeah, England are blessed with lots of talented right backs it's fair to say a bit like Scotland with their left backs right um yeah but anyway let us quickly get the plane over to Turin as we'll talk about a certain game that happened last night and that was the Derby the Italia we saw Juventus and Inter share a point as one all goals from Vlavic and a fantastic goal by Martinez. We all saw this and I think the thing that surprised me was how free-flowing actually Allegri went with his Juventus side, very attacking, Um, you know, put a lot of, I think, thoughts into Nzagi's head, especially as they kind of matched up in terms of the tactics, so it's was 3-5-2 formation that they went out with Um, But I think it kind of died off in the second half, especially as the game kind of dragged on. I think it was kind of like a game of chess. They didn't want to kind of concede too much. And you could see like Juventus were trying to be dragged out by Inter's kind of passing uh, movement. Um, We had the pantomime villain, Quadrado being brought on as well, uh, just to make himself more well-known with the Juventus faithful. Um, But if I start off with yourself, Andrea, who do you think will be happiest after that result? Because yeah, it doesn't really give us too much to go off by, does it?
0: No, it doesn't. I think to be honest, I think both teams really, because I think realistically for Juventus um, it's still the aim for them's top four, um, even though they're, they're in the chance to you know, try and challenge for the Scudetto, um, I still think that um, the fact that they didn't lose gives them the question of like, that they can still compete with the big teams in the league. Um, mm. I thought, to be fair, in, in the game as well, that that there was chances where they, you know, they could have um took advantage. I think I think though, like for example, I think Allegri got coming to subs wrong. For example, like mm-hmm. um yeah. taking off Kieser and that Kieser done that really great run and then he took it takes him off to bring on Milik and um uh Keen, for example. Okay, yeah. And then and then it just it's just like but you've taken them off now. It's like the creativity's gone and it's like you're just gonna now hope for a long ball, which you know it's not <laughs> it's just yeah, it's not. There's no, there's no like, joint bit between the midfield and the attack if you take off Kieser and stuff. It would have been nice to see Ealing Jr. come on or someone just to add a bit yeah. more of a dynamic to the game. Um, but, um, yeah, I just think um, it's a, it was a bit disappointing. But I think it was good by Allegri at the start. I think it definitely caught Inter out because I yeah. didn't expect Juve to go without either at the first, first 15 minutes. It was really good. Uh, great goal as well. Um, but I just think the key... For some reason, because they've been defending so well, I just think if they got into halftime one 0 up, you never know. I think they could have hanged on, but yeah, uh, I just think deep down though that when you're playing a good team like Inter to defend the whole night, it's just it's not um, possible. And obviously, if, when they attacked, it, it gives advantage to win to actually go, you know, counter, you know, and obviously do their do their stuff as well. So um, yeah, I just think in the end it was it was a fair result. But I think mm. missed opportunity for uh, Juve more. I think Juve could have yeah. done something. I think Inter will take it. I don't think Inter will complain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. I think it was just one of those games, especially the first half. It was a game of one half, really. The second half just died down. So I think Inter will take it. I think the fact that it did fall like that may, it must mean that Inter didn't really mind taking the draw. So I think, yeah, But it, it's better for them, I think. But Juve will still take it, I think.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, ben, you were really taken back by that inter goal as well. Um, that was a beautiful move, it has to be said. Um, are you kind of purring over a few of these players and wondering if they could uh, make appearance for Spurs one day? I hope so. I, hope so. I,
1: yeah, I really enjoyed the game, I, especially that inter goal. It was just such mm-hmm. a like fluid move like it was just it was just such a satisfying goal. I thought it was just both goals really to be honest kind of mm. summed up the quality of that yeah. um both teams front too. I know there's obviously been questions about Vlajevic since you made the move over to Juventus mm. but you started the season pretty well. But that goal again was like all about Kiese, like that perfect cutback and it was a good finish but that inter move was fantastic. I thought the thing I think back to your kind of question that you posed to Andrea I think Inter will probably be happy with it purely because they're in the ascendancy in the league. Mm. But I think Juventus will also take a lot from it in the sense that it might be a little bit of a missed opportunity um, in the sense that the game became a little bit more of like the chess match that I think people probably expected in the second half. Um, But they showed that they can still mix it with with teams like Inter. Um, I thought... And also the thing is with Inter as well is that they can... I think what they have over Juventus and there's something I noticed a lot in that game and watching a lot of Inter over the last couple of years is that they've got the ability to mix up their attacks a lot more because Mm. you've got someone, especially now with like I think we talked about this on the pod, I think last week or a couple of weeks ago, about Chanaloglu, about his ability now to kind of like be that number six kind of replacement for Brozovic. But because he's got such a good attacking eye as well, he really opens up the pitch. And because he wants the ball all the time, it kind of allows someone like Barella or Mikatarian, who's got maybe more of an attacking eye for goal. We kind of traditionally saw Mikatarian as a bit more of an attacking midfielder when he was in the Premier League and in the Bundesliga. He kind of allows those players to do that job. And also when you've got the threat of those wing-backs that, you know, that obviously Juventus have got Kostic, who's been one of the best attacking wing-backs mm-hmm. in Europe, yeah, yeah. in Germany and in Italy over the last few years. But I think DeMarco and Dumfries are just on another level. And I think that's why Inter would probably be a little bit happy in that second half, just soaking up the pressure, trying to dictate the game a little bit more and not allowing it to be as, maybe as open it was in the first half because they know they've always got that threat going the other way that Juve maybe don't quite have to the... Same degree, but I thought it was a really interesting game, and I think Juve, you know, I think they will they will be happy with it, and I think they will could potentially push Inter this season. But I think Inter just look really really strong. Like if you just go through the spine of that team, and I know like Bremer had a really good game for Uve, I thought yesterday. Yeah, but I think that that spine is just a little bit weaker for Uve, and I think mm-hmm. Inter have got that little bit more experience in that yeah. team. It just feels a little bit more considered and a bit more like bit more put together and a bit stronger um but it was a fascinating game that yeah that set, that inter-equalizer was fantastic i've always it's interesting with latoro because you know some of like some of my mates that don't watch a lot of Serie, a, they kind of see him as a little bit like really frustrating because sometimes the only opportunity they'll get to watch or the only opportunity they maybe choose to watch him is at tournaments and there were so many frustrating moments that he had for argentina in the world cup A year gone by but if you watch him regularly for inter he's one of the most clinical finishers Mm. in europe and also his ability to bring other players into play and i think now he's got a strike partner in turam that suits his game down to the ground because turam as you saw for the goal will do so much running up and down that channel and he can carry the ball he's a bit more of a physical presence that can win knockdowns for martinez to kind of finish from and stuff like that so i think that strike partnership is a match made in heaven really um but again, I was impressed with Inter. I think I still think you know, there's a reason why Inter got to the Champions League final last year. It's not mm. down to luck. It wasn't to do with the draw that they had. Yes, you know they were up against um, Milan and a team that they know very well yeah. in the semis or quarters. Was that was that the
2: semis? It was semis with Milan. Yeah,
1: yeah. So you can argue maybe that they had potentially a, a favorable route, and if they would come up against a Man City over two legs, it might have been a different story. But I'm not so sure. I saw there was a podcast clip going round. I can't remember who it was from. And it was an Arsenal fan and an Inter
2: fan. Oh, no. You did. Yes, I saw yeah. this. Oh, yeah. God. This was so cringe. But I won't spoil it. Go on, carry on.
1: It was just kind of that blind arrogance almost of the <laughs> Arsenal fan to suggest that, like, they would absolutely wipe the floor of Inter. It's like, I don't think you would. There's a reason they got to the Champions League final last year. They were a very, very experienced side with a very good coach. And they've got a little bit like we were talking about Liverpool and City. They've got all the answers in terms of... Go- they've got goals from every mm. aspect of the team. Um, and yeah, I think they're a really, really good side.
2: Mm, definitely. Um, whilst you were talking, I did feel, though, um, the likes of Barella and even Cana um, I felt they had quieter games than they would normally have. Uh, I don't know, yeah. Andrea, if you be- um, believe the same way, but I also felt like... Juventus did a really good job of containing Dumfries and DeMarco at times. I felt like they, as typical Allegri ball is, 10 men behind the ball, you know, not giving too much. You can have the ball as much as you like. Um, But I thought actually they kept them really quiet. You know, we were expecting Inter to go in their free-flowing football. But actually, I felt at times Juventus did a really good job of containing them.
0: Yeah I agree with that. I think um in particular yeah the fullbacks Danfrees to Demarco they go way advanced especially in a lot of their games recently. Um but I think um overall I think um Juve got the plan of that spot on but I just think um it it does minimize them obviously going forward and that's the big issue. It's just that transition play. Um but it's all good in doing that for now but they need to try and transition that into attacking goals but yeah, definitely that they did um hold them off well. Um but yeah, mm. especially those fullbacks.
2: Definitely. Right. We will move on to some therapy sessions. So Andrea, we'll start off with yourself and uh obviously, yeah, Fiorentina didn't do you much favours on Saturday evening against Milan. Um I suppose I was kind of hoping for you guys to get a win personally. I was like, you know, you'll be much happier when you turn up on this live stream on a Monday night. Um, But yeah, um, it feels like there's lots of questions to be answered about Fiorentina. If we just stick to the stats of the match, obviously Teo Hernandez with the penalty was enough to ensure that win highlights being that Kamada came on 15 years old, uh, making his appearance with, uh, I think it was eight minutes to go of the match. Um, but I think the kind of situation around Fiorentina is an interesting one. Obviously I feel like you guys have some really talented individuals, but it seems like you just can't pull these kind of performances together. I mean, we saw a few weeks ago, you pull off that amazing result in Naples. Um, Fantastic. I mean, you deserved it. And then you go on a free game losing run before you got a win before the international break. Um, what, what do you make of this season for Fiorentina? I mean, what has what been the issue and why you're not getting the consistency? Or is it basically a rerun of last year where you're shit for the first half of the season and then you basically decide to turn up? I mean, how is it for you, mate? Um,
0: it's a big question. I think um, it's, it's a lot to do with a lot of last season's kind of continued this season. I think it's consistency, mentality um there's quite a few things i think as well it's just um the big thing for me is i don't think italianos improved the game management side that i thought he would have learned from the two finals i think i was saying to you before that like um like the west ham game like last minute you know there's no need for the high line you know just get to extra time and then you know what happened, you know and then same with the, the italian cup uh yeah disaster so i think these type of things you'd thought he'd learned from, and I don't think he has. Um, and you see this kind of naivety in particular, like um, against Lazio, last minute penalty. Like we had the ball in the middle of the pitch, like with 30 seconds to go, you know, and we decided to throw it long, which gives them to, a chance to win the ball. And then they did ultimately like, score the mm-hmm. penalty, you know? So it's a bit of stuff like that, a little bit of game management that um, I don't think he understands. But like, it's quite interesting because I thought he did show some sign of it. In particular, I recall it Udinese, when we played Udinese away, um, we were winning 1-0, we were dominating for 60 minutes, 70 minutes, but mm. we started to, like, it started to fall flat, and he noticed that, and he decided to go free at the back. And I was like, oh, what's this? Like, you know, this is, you know, <laughs> and then he and he done that, and we ended up holding for the win. But, like, sometimes you mm. need that little bit of, like, you know, we can't be 100% for 90 minutes. You know, sometimes you've got to adjust. And I think that's the big um, issue. I think the other big issue for us as well is that he keeps persisting with this 4-3-3 and I just don't think it suits us. Um, And I think our big issue is is the left wing doesn't suit us. We don't have that Mm. left wing that can attack like Gonzalez does on the right. So I feel like the left wing just ends up being Baragi crossing the ball. (laughs) Um, and, And that's another issue. We're just relying on our fullbacks to cross the ball in and hope for a goal. Um so I just think it's a lot of to do with um yeah, I, I feel like Italiano's not getting the best out of the players because I don't think he's um he's starting he's not um trying to be open to change and change his ideas. Like I would like mm. to see them maybe to perhaps switch to a four, three, one, two or something, or maybe a three at the back. Mm. Something to like try and get these players uh, working, you know. Um and the fact that Beltran and Nzola have only really scored one goal in Serie A between them. Like that's it's not acceptable, you know. So that something of yeah. to change, and you know, the, obviously the fingers were pointing at the manager. So um I just think, yeah, I just think some of the things he's doing, and it's frustrating so because I feel like I feel like we have a better team definitely than last year, but I feel like we're playing worse than we did last year. And um, even though last mm. year was still a bit of the same that we were, like you know, up and down. Um, but yeah, I just think it's to do a lot with the the, the mentality as well um but yeah so the game management and mentality for me are two key aspects and that obviously affects the big problem that we have had all these years with Italiano, which is consistency and we've lacked that like for the we'll win two games and lose five and then we'll be there's i remember one time we won a game and then we lost four nil to udonese at home like it's just
2: yeah it's can't, mental to make that? this
0: up yeah so it's yeah it's frustrating
2: but. You made a good point about Anzola because obviously he had a fantastic season for Spezia and he was almost like kind of this kind of striker that you felt like he just needs a big move and he couldn't show his worth because he showed with Spezia, he can have man of the match performances in him as well. And um, the other player that I felt has always gone missing for Fiorentina is Ikoné as well, because he came off that hype with Lille and you thought, right, he's going to come to Italy, maybe mature as a player and with Italiano, you're just thinking, well, kind of right mix. But I don't know. There's something about Italiano that it just doesn't seem to get the best out of certain individuals. You can't kind of coach them. And there's a good video that you released a few weeks ago where I think it was one of the matches where you lost. I can't remember. It may have been Juventus or something like that. And it's like you put Anzola on. But in terms of the tactics he kind of deployed, it was kind of balls in the box. And Anzola not that type of player. So... Yeah. He's just playing against kind of the players that are at his disposal. So I suppose if we pose that question to you, Andrea, Italiano, how much time has he got left? And do you think there's still time for him to turn it around? Because I've, I seem to remember, we went through this question last year and like it felt like he was almost there on the cusp of being potentially moved on. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. How are you feeling? Do you feel he's the right man still at the helm? It's a difficult one because
0: I feel like um, he's improved us a lot. That's not not quite un, undeniable, I think. I just think um, that I'm a bit concerned that he hasn't learned from last season. I just think we, I'm seeing the same patterns again and we've got a better squad. I, um, so that's my main concern with, with um, Italiano. But um, mm. I do... The only thing I would give him credit for... Well, not credit, but like his... Um, some sort of acceptance is the fact that the squad, to be honest, it's, there's a lot of average players um, amongst some really good ones, there's a lot of players that I don't think perhaps um, aren't to the level, maybe more of a squad players. Um, and I think and I think the key issue that we had um, is why we're suffering now, is that we didn't address in the summer what we should have addressed, which was a new goalkeeper, a centre-back, and if we were going to carry on this 4-3-3, a left wing. Um, mm. I think that's the key mistake as well. Uh, we didn't address um, in particular. And then and that's what happens. Like, um, he, um, like Christensen, like they gave him a game and he doesn't look, he doesn't look stable. Like, and now it looks like he's not going to be in the first team. It's going to be Terraciano again, which we who's sh- the goalkeeper we should have replaced. So yeah. it's like things like this, but also I think as well, even if you, even if the squad, you don't think, you know, some players aren't working, just stick with a team. That's the other thing I'd yeah. say. We've won th- even like centre backs, we've gone with Milenkovic Ranieri, then we switched to Ranieri Martinez quarta and now we're back to Milinkovic Martinez quarta So it's like if you're changing the side constantly, it it, it does mess the river, yeah. you know. You, one or two tweaks I understand, you know, sometimes you bring someone in, maybe a Sotio instead of Recolo. But um I just think um I I I really like him, um, but I just don't mm. I don't see it improving. I just think it there, there hasn't been enough evidence right now to suggest he's learned from he's like he hasn't developed that game management side i think that and that's the key to any manager being like a top manager is that game management you know um in those last periods where you know games are flat or you know th- there's a goal in it you know you, you mm. do that change you do that system change um and that's another key thing as well he doesn't change it the formation if we're struggling with a 4 3 3, let's change it up, you know, in the game.
2: Yeah.
0: And also, the, the other thing that frustrates me the most is Beltrán and Zola. Why don't we try them both together? We've
2: yeah, always exactly. taken them off. Try
0: yeah, them yeah. together. Why not? I, I think I, it's the
2: Italian tactic, isn't it? Just stick with one man up top and hope for the best. But yeah, it's, it is one of those things. If I just quickly push you, if there was the opportunity of moving Italiano on, who who are you kind of thinking to replace him? I mean, my initial thoughts are either Tiago Motta, who's doing really well at Bologna, or either you've got the Parma coach Fabio Pechia, I think is how you pronounce it. I think he's done some wonders for Parma this season, um, but I don't know if they would go down the leagues to go and grab him. But I think he's a upcoming one. Otherwise, Rafael Palladino at Monza, I think he's also made a stake for claim as well at a big club, but. Yeah. Is there anyone else that you fancy potentially? Yeah, you definitely read my mind. I think those what the, especially Motta.
0: I think Motta would be the dream one. I think Motta is like close to a big team. So if we could mm. kind of get him before a bigger team gets him.
2: Yeah. yeah
0: but um, Motta would be a good one. Paladino as well. I think he, what he's done at Mons, he's stabilized them and he's, you know, he's, they're playing really good football. I just think he's so settled there. I don't know if he would make the move. And probably best if he stays there and carries on what he's doing. <laughs> But um, I think the only thing for nostalgia would be Gelardino at Genoa, what he's doing right now. I think he's doing quite well. Young team, Mm. um, especially Genoa having difficulties with the relegation last year, bringing, you know, to come up and such. So um, just because he's a Fiorentina legend, maybe he'd sort out our attacker. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe he can come on the pitch. I don't know. But um, yeah, but definitely Thiago Motto for me would be the ideal one. Yeah.
2: stuff. Right, Ben, we're going to go to your therapy session now. So we'll talk about Spurs. Um, you lose again, unfortunately, um, but it wasn't for the lack of trying. I felt like Ange and generally the Spurs squad did play some really attacking football. Um, but it did feel for, in particular, that kind of Oli Watkins goal, that winner. Um, it felt like you were a bit lethargic, You're kind of standoffish. They didn't really kind of, you know, look at the ball itself. They were kind of watching it more to the point. Um yeah, you were at the stadium itself. How did it feel? I mean, it, it sounds like it was kind of positive from a Spurs perspective. You were all kind of liking what you're seeing, but from an outsider perspective, if this was another manager, I'm sure would be saying there should be a plan B. Um, but yeah, you're kind of sticking with the call, right? Yeah, absolutely. It was, you know, frustrating and gutting to lose
1: yesterday because I thought for the first half an hour, especially of the game, I genuinely think that's the best football we've actually played all season. I thought... It was so kind of ballsy to put out mm-hmm. that lineup in the midst of everything else that's kind of been going on, and I kind of think it made us as a fan base fall in love with Ange even more. Um, and it was it, the, set, the the winning goal was interesting because Roy Keane kind of laid into Spurs from what I saw on Sky after the game, labeling it as Spursy. Yep. And yep. as much as I think it was. Yeah, I I do think there's a point to that. And I think sometimes when you take kind of your spurs like glasses off, I think we definitely could have defended that goal better. It was a little bit passive. I think part of it was down to Emery's change of tactic at halftime. He brought Tielemans on, who I think gained them a lot more control of the midfield that they really didn't have in the first half, especially when Bentoncore was on the pitch, which is why it was such a shame to see him go off again. um, Because I thought we had total control of the midfield in the first half. Um, I think Tiedemann has just being there kind of allowed them to kind of create those little patterns and they passed through Tottenham really well and it was a really incisive goal um, a good move but yeah you could potentially point towards the defending for that one but I think overall on the whole it was still really encouraging I think we could have it was one of those bizarre games that we could have been 4-0 up at half time yeah. it was that it was yeah. that like we created that many chances um, and like a variety of different chances as well it wasn't just kind of And what I I liked about it was in the team selection where he put Brennan Johnson out on the right and Hill on the left, it was almost Mm. a little bit of a throwback. Like for for so many years at Spurs, we were so used to especially at White Hart Lane seeing Aaron Lennon on that right-hand side. And I'm not going to compare Brian Hill to Gareth Bale by any stretch, but (laughs) kind of those natural like wingers playing on their right side, stretching the pitch, getting in behind And We've not, we've not really seen a lot of that from Tottenham so far. Like a lot of the Mm. goals that we've scored and a lot of the chances that we've kind of creative, come through, build up maybe in the middle of the pitch with someone like a Madison dictating the play. Um, but I was really impressed with our ability to kind of mix up our attacks yesterday. I thought Kuliszewski in that number 10 position was excellent. He mm. he talked about like how he's almost always felt that he's a number 10 and he felt yeah. almost like he was playing like his old self yesterday. And I think it just gave him a bit of a lease of life. Tonight. I've been really impressed with Kuliszewski this season. I've been a massive fan of him since we bought him i think he's an excellent player that kind of goes a little bit under the radar when you're talking about the top talents that are like under the age of maybe 25 those young players in the league mm-hmm. um and i think he was he was brilliant i thought lacelso was brilliant as well almost played like a new signing for us and i think um i've talked about before the fact that i almost think that LaCelso has been a bit misprofiled since spurs bought him in because i think when he came in it was kind of around that time of uncertainty around Christian Eriksen before he left to join Inter. Um, that summer, he obviously stayed until the January and then left then. But we there was this foreboding sense that Eriksen was going to leave. Uh, and I think many fans almost had this expectation of Lo Celso that he was going to kind of come in and be this number 10. And I don't think he's ever been that. Like, he had a good mm. goal-scoring season at Betis the year before we bought him. And I think that kind of clouded a lot of fans' judgment. But I think what you saw from him yesterday was exactly... The reason why Spurs bought him and I know it's four years down the line but you know he he's had successful loan spells elsewhere every time he plays for Argentina he starts you know he's he mm. he can boss the game he can dictate the player midfield um and he gives us a different option to Madison and I think that's why as much as I love James Madison and he's been incredible for Tottenham so far up until his injury I'm not as worried about the midfield as I am about the defense um for that reason, because I think Lacelso showed mm. yesterday that he can be a really valuable member of that squad. And I think what I really liked about the game in the first half was the fact that whenever Bentancourt or Lacelso picked up the ball in midfield, I think the reason why Tottenham were able to dominate it so much is because whenever Bentancourt or Lacelso Lo looked in front of them, there was just this line of Spurs players willing to receive the ball, stretching the pitch. You had either Johnson and Hill really hugging the wings, mm. and then they were kind of like, interchange them with Poro and Adogie who would either come inside or then they'd maintain that width and allow Johnson and Hill to kind of penetrate the channels more than the wings. Um and Kulzevsky kind of just drifting in between. I thought it was I thought he set up really, really well. And it was interesting because there was so much talk. I know Oli Watkins scored the goal and he took it really yeah. well and obviously he had another one disallowed. Um I actually think he was far more threatening in the second half when Villa changed to kind of changed from that 4-4-2 to a 4-5-1 and Leon Bailey played more on the right-hand side and mm. Watkins was kind of that lone, not target man, but lone striker Strike, through the middle. Yeah. Um, because I think there was, yeah, there was so much talk about Diaby and Watkins and how they were going to hurt Tottenham's yeah. high line. And obviously this was kind of more in the presumption that Eric Dyer was maybe going to play. And I think we talk about this need for a plan B for Ange, but I, I think he showed that he is willing to adapt game by game because he sees the threat of someone like a Watkins. Because if it was Watkins against Dyer, then... It's kind of becomes a different kettle Story, of fish, really. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But I thought, I thought, other than the second goal, I was, I was disappointed actually with the defending for the Watkins goal that got disallowed. Yeah. With a header, because I thought you can't, mm-hmm. you just can't allow him that much time in the box. I know he was offside, but it was, it was just one of those ones where, especially straight after you scored, it's like, oh, come on. Like, <laughs> um, that was, that was poor for me. But, yeah. you know, there was plenty of encouragement to take away from it. And on any other day, we win that three or four, one, and nobody's talking about the defence. And I think the only reason people are talking about Emerson and Davis, and in my opinion, giving them unfair stick,
2: is because we didn't take our chances. Mm, Yeah, and do you know what? I think you were slightly unlucky with some of the decision-making. I think there was some calls that I think were just on the cusp. It wasn't really like, if that was another linesman trying to call it, I think they don't even, you know pull the flag up for it personally Um, but yeah I mean on the Kulisevsky point you made a really good point because I feel like he is one player that works so hard but I think it's his return sometimes in terms of his goal contribution isn't something that people are won over by that and I think that's what puts him undermined or sometimes for other people they seem undermined by it um, Andrea, what did you think of Aston Villa as well? Because, you know, this charge, they're now in that kind of top four mix. I don't think most fans would have, would have anticipated Villa being there, but they're doing really well. And there's something about Emery. He seems to like changing things up during the matches, even if it's not going so well for them, as Ben kind of highlighted, you know, he pulled off the RB and, you know, changed up the tactics and it seemed to work for them. So are you have you been impressed by Villa and Emery?
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think again, it's what I was saying before about game management, you know, you get, you make those changes, you know, it can win games. I think in particular, what I like about Emery, it's just that it's that the organization and that system, like they know what they're doing, they're all playing for each other. Um, and they just the commitment's there. And I think when you've got at least that structure there with the tactic, um, tactics that Linda Emery has, um, you know, they can really do well and they've got some really good players. And they've got a good chance this year to win the conference league. Um, so I think they they're on the right track. I think they've just got a, they've got a few more signings away to kind of build more. Um, but I think they're on definitely on the right track and they've got the right manager to take them there. I can certainly see them. I don't see why it's crazy to say that they can challenge for that top four. Um, especially mm, with, you know, Man United and Chelsea um, you know, kind of like Yo-Yo team right now, teams right now. But um yeah, I just think you, you know, they've got d- that structure there, so they can definitely develop and yeah, push for those places. And obviously with um Champions League football if they can get there, better players can come in, etc. And they financially have got a really they've got good financials as well. So they, they can definitely stay up there if they can get there as well. So yeah, mm. definitely on the right track. Um, and yeah, really really like Unai Emery, I think he's
1: world class manager, I think. Me too. Me too. Yeah. I completely well, agree. I think I think with Emery, I think there's this kind of debate around outside of Pep and Klopp, who is the best manager? Who is the third best manager in the league? I think it's him. I think he kind of, he came into Arsenal at the wrong time almost off the back of the Wenger years and kind of had to deal with a lot. And if I'm, I might be wrong on this, but I don't think that Emery worked with Edu. I don't think there was that structure in place when Emery first went there. And I think that, That has been a massive part of Arsenal's success, not taking anything away from Arteta. But I think Emery is often overlooked because he was kind of made almost a bit of a clown by the English media when he was at Arsenal. He was kind of memed more than any other manager during that time. And I think it was kind of during like the Arsenal banter years. He kind of fell victim Mm -hmm. to a lot of that, which wasn't really fair. I think, like I said, I think at halftime, he kind of... Tottenham did have chances in the second half as well we carried on playing really positively and created more than enough chances to win the game in the second half alone but I do think they regained a little bit more of that control with the substitutions that he made I think as much as Aston Villa are a direct rival to Tottenham really and that's why that result doesn't hurt too much yesterday because I've said it so many times before like this top eight really in the Premier League is the strongest it's ever been in my opinion Mm. and if you're going to get fourth this year or even fifth which could potentially be a champions league place depending on the coefficient etc you're going to be a a fucking good team to get in the top four and if Aston Villa get in there it's on merit any team who gets fourth is you know it's it's on merit because I don't think I know Man United have ridden their luck a little bit this season I still don't think the performances are matching up to where they are I can't get my head around they're the most informed team in the league but I think whichever team kind of gets there it will be on merit and there's no reason to say why it couldn't be Aston Villa and I think for me I think st- I've always had a little bit of a soft spot for Aston Villa I don't know whether it's because like growing up as a Spurs fan there was that kind of three-way battle almost between like Tottenham Aston Villa and Everton to be like who's mm-hmm. that team that's going to break into the into the top four and Villa always were like really mm-hmm. exciting to watch and we had some kind of good battles with them in that time and I think we saw it yesterday, their away support is incredible. They have great mm. fans at Villa Park as well. They're such. A, I think a strong Aston Villa is kind of the signal of a strong Premier League. I know yeah. they're never going to maybe next, like, make that next step up. But they could do. Who knows? And like Andreas says, they've got the financial firepower now. You look at their recruitment, mm. and that's why I'm quite encouraged by Tottenham going forward is because we've brought in Johan Lang, <laughs> was who was say, the yeah. director of football at Aston Villa, who... <laughs> Had a really data-led approach. Not all of the signings were hits, but you know, not no, not every yeah. player that you sign is going to be a bona fide success. But he brought in the likes of Watkins, Emmy yeah. Martinez, which was obviously more of an obvious kind of buy, right? Sure, um, yeah. but he's brought in a hell of a lot of good players. Like Bubakar Kamara, who's been really impressive, yeah, exactly. like, really, really good yesterday. Um, and they've done some really good recruitment. So I'm excited to see what he can bring to Tottenham as we look forward to January. But I think I think a strong Aston Villa and a competitive Aston Villa is good for the Premier League, because they're a big club and they deserve to be up there. They've, you know, they kind of went through the mill a little bit towards the latter stages of, well, sort of in the last 10 years where they were relegated. Mm. Um, So I think it's great to see them kind of where they are. And I think, like we touched on uh, before, you know, like Aston Villa are going to, they've got, I think they've got quite a, I'm not sure they've got a tough run coming up, but I know they've got to play City and I feel like they've got to play Arsenal fairly soon before Christmas as well. So I think it's been really interesting to see, how they get on in that run? Because I think they'll go, especially away from home. They're set up so well. They'll catch teams out of the high line like they did to us on several occasions yesterday. Son had a hat trick of goals ruled yeah. out for the side, um, and we had plenty more chances that were flagged up as well by the linesman. Um, but I think yeah. on the whole, like Aston, like Tottenham and Aston Villa are both both teams are going in the right direction. I think whoever mm-hmm. won or lost yesterday. Couldn't be too disappointed because I think both sets of fan bases, regardless of what the result would have been, can both see that their teams are moving in the right direction. That's definitely how I feel as a Spurs man.
2: Yeah, and just to build on your last point around the fixtures for Aston Villa, so they've got uh, obviously the, the Conference League match against Lego Warsaw, and then they've got an away trip to Bournemouth before they face Man City at home, and then Arsenal at home as well. So it is going to be tight. And to your points, so I both echo you in terms of Emery. I I believe he's a really good manager who's just become better over time. I think that's. Um, Placement at uh, Real actually helps him out massively to rebuild his career and show his credentials. Um, I'm going to leave this question for you, Ben, because obviously we we have spoken briefly about uh, Eric Dyer. But yeah, um, Charles, nice to have you, Charles, on the show. Um, Ace asked about Eric Dyer's career at Spurs. Is it fair to say it's over, or do you think he still has a chance? And or w- where do you think he is? Does he stand a chance of still being a squad player? I think. Well, it came out
1: yesterday. Obviously, there was there was rumours kind of circling before kickoff. We didn't know that the team was going to be that ballsy, but we there was an indication that Emerson was going to play at centre back. Kind of a few like the in the know accounts were like, I've, been, I've heard that Dyer's going to be benched today and Emerson's going to play. And then after that, and then after the game, there was a lot of reports circulating that Ange has been quite direct with Dyer and quite honest about where he sees him in his plans and apparently Dyer almost kind of appreciated the honesty because he's not been left out in the dark. And I think, I do think there will be games between, well, the difficult thing for Dyer is, is that uh, Romero is back for the game after City. So he's back for the West Ham game. So we're only without Christian Romero for one more game. Um, so that door then probably more firmly shots on Eric Dier even further because you've then got Emerson Royale then potentially ahead of you Mm. in the pecking order behind Romero and obviously then we've got some youth prospects as well in Ashley Phillips who's currently out injured and you've also got Alfie Dorrington as well who we've spoken about before. Um, I think his career is done at Tottenham. I don't know if he'll leave in January because, you know, he's sitting on the last six months of his contract and I'm not going to blame Eric Dier. I think we've discussed this before about Dier. I, I like him and I think the he's clearly I'd say not up to it because I think that's disrespectful to a guy that's had a good Premier League career but I just don't think he will find himself maybe I don't think it's he's not it's not that he's not up to it as a defender I think it's just that more like in this particular system he would get exposed even more than maybe in previous years where he's had a difficult time um, which is bizarre. It's strange, really, because under Conte, like he kind of revived his career at Tottenham. Really, playing yeah, as the yeah. central central centre back in the back three, he was really, really good and got back in the England squad and all that. But I do think the time now, sadly, has come for Dyer because I think he's always been a really honest pro, a really good guy. Um, when there's not always a lot of them in modern football anymore, and you know he's been mm. at Tottenham for a long time, and I wish him all the best. But I do think it's time if Tottenham do want to kind of uh, what I was kind of about to catch myself saying it then, but like. I don't think it's anything to do with ambition, but I do yeah. think Tottenham have kind of like, having Eric Dyer as a backup option isn't going to kind of propel you to the the next level. You kind of have to yeah, look yeah. at maybe bringing someone else in. Um, so unfortunately, I do think, we certainly won't see him pass this season. It's just whether his time at Spurs gets cut short in, in January or not. So it'll be interesting to see, but it does feel like he's not really in Andrew's plans, especially with Romero's return on yeah, the horizon. exactly.
2: Yeah, I don't know about you, Andrea, but it feels like a naturally a Serie A target for someone. Um, I could see him being on loan spell for next six months or something like that. But yeah, I don't know if Viola would fancy him, his services as well. Um, he's <laughs> nodding, so we'll we'll move on. We'll move on. And uh, yeah, conscious of time, I thought we would just do a quick roundup of the other Premier League matches as well. Um, obviously, in terms of the matches that played out on Saturday, Burnley still losing again, 2-1 defeat uh, against West Ham. West Ham with some late goals there. Um, wh- I was really impressed by this one. Luton Town winning 2-1 against Crystal Palace. Really fantastic win. That Puts them in the second win of the season. Uh, great goal by Michael Lise. I don't know about you guys, but that was a fantastic kind of run as well because it was just that same defender that he was taking on even when he shot it. So that was a fantastic effort by Elise. Um, Andrea, we were going to talk about, briefly, Chelsea and Newcastle. Um, Chelsea were, to begin with, a bit unlucky, but then a series of errors really cost them in this match. Um, I know you've got a bit of a love for Chelsea. I mean, uh, yeah, I thought they were turning the corner, but it doesn't feel like they are.
0: No, I, I, I just, it's, it's a really odd one because it they look like they can do it, but then it's like they just switch off and it's like... Mm. With a 10 50 minute of craziness, it's gone. The game's gone. And, like, I don't know. I just think it's um, it's um just going to take time to build some sort of mentality of, like, winning again. I think that's what they've got to learn. They've got to learn to actually win and appreciate the win and, like, grow from it. But it's just, yeah, it's just, I think it's a long battle that they're going to have to go through. And they've got to give Poch time, because I think Poch is a really good manager as well. I think what he's done at Spurs as well, he can do that even with... Chelsea, with all these youngsters coming through as well. So, yeah, I still think they'll get there. I think the signs are there. I just think it's just going to take a couple of years to kind of, like, start to see the signs. Um, but I do like the young players they've got. I think they've got, especially Cole Palmer, I think Cole Palmer looks like a real gem of a player that they've got. Um, so they've got players to build around. It's just, yeah, it's just going to take some time.
2: But yeah, unfortunately, it's always- for
0: Chelsea, it's all about winning, so...
2: But, exactly um, yeah 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 definitely yeah, i always true. felt like there's too many players at one time that's what they did wrong really yeah. um and ben uh gritty performance by newcastle anthony gordon looks a hell of a player now compared to his everton days he feels like he's bulked up a bit as well um would you have him in the england squad just to see what he could do
1: yeah why not i think he's been really exciting for uh for newcastle i think he's one of those players that um not to bring it back to Spurs again, but I, Fabio Paratici was always a massive fan of Anthony Gordon mm. and he was desperate to bring him to Tottenham at one stage apparently, but um, we didn't quite make it happen. There was talks. I remember, I think it was either January, last January, last season or the first January where he came in under Conte that they were looking at bringing it. Actually, no, sorry. It was when we signed Richarlison, they were looking at potentially bringing in Gordon and Richarlison yeah. in the same summer. Um, and you can see why Anthony Gordon, I think he he almost kind of goes under the radar a little bit with England, doesn't he? Because I think we have got yeah. a little bit of an embarrassment of riches in that area in terms of the squad. Um, but he's just delivering week in, week out for Newcastle. I think it was one of those things where people were made to almost believe a little bit that he was a bit inconsistent at Everton. But I think that was more mm-hmm. to do with the kind of basket case of what was going on around him. <laughs> and I think yeah. I remember like, there was a countless performances when Everton were kind of in the mire, and he was still there. The season before he left, mm. he because um, he left in the January, didn't he? It was last. Yes. Was it January that he went yeah. to last <inaudible> January? Yeah, yeah. So there was um, there was always performances where I think, despite what was going on, he always kind of looked like the the bright light. But it always kind of felt like, given the foreboding financial kind of albatross that was hanging around their neck, basically, mm. they were going to have to get rid of. Someone and obviously coming through the academy and we've seen Chelsea do this with moving on players because it re- reflects far better on your financial fair play and all that kind of stuff but it's no surprise to see him tearing it up at Newcastle I think Newcastle their recruitment has been really really good and I think what they've done is create an environment where it's almost impossible for new signings to fail because it's almost like I don't know what it is it's just like either the either the, it's just that their talent ID is that good and they've brought in a lot of really good players but it just kind of feels like I don't know. Like it, just, it feels like to me that no one's going to go there and fail just because of the what they've kind of built up. And I think Gordon's kind of really shining through now. And it's interesting with England because I was going to talk about um, Sterling as well. And obviously with that goal, I know it was a, a free kick, but it just shows his quality and shows uh, we talked about this last week when we were talking about England about how mm-hmm. like what has he got to do to like get back yeah, in the squad? Exactly. But you know, you've got him and then Gordon, another player that can play on that left hand side as well. So England are kind of embarrassed really for. For, for riches in that aspect. But Gordon's a player that's really, really impressed me. So tenacious, wiry, quick. Mm. And he's a very good finisher as well. Like you saw that, was it the fourth goal yeah. that he scored? Yeah, like it was, yeah. that finish just lasered into the bottom corner, side foot, bang, like great goal. And yeah, I, I've been really impressed with Anthony
2: Gordon. Yeah, definitely, definitely. um If we quickly move on to the other games, just to summarize. So Nottingham Forest lose to Brighton. Brighton that puts them up into eighth place. Uh, Sheffield United again lose it does feel inevitable for them so they lost 3-1 to Bournemouth Brentford lost again to Arsenal Rory will be very delighted with that a late goal by Kai Havertz there and then finally we've got Everton that we thought there was going to be a cauldron there Ben Um, but yeah Man United had the game of their season I felt felt like that was their best time they've ever played this season and some Maybe it's just a coincidence. Ten Hag wasn't on the sidelines. Maybe that helped them out. I don't know. Um, but yeah, w- what was your thoughts on that goal contender of the season? Did you, I mean, is that another Rooney-Shins effort, do you think? Uh, because I did see the replay side by side. It did feel a bit similar. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. No, I have to say, hands down, I couldn't do that. I couldn't pull that off.
1: No, that was an unbelievable goal. I was actually still in... Like Me and my mate stayed for a drink in the stadium after uh, the game yesterday. So we were watching it on one of the screens in the bar and it was almost just like everyone that was watching it was just like, oh my, like just shocked. And then everyone who just sort of had their back to it with a beer then turned around and was like, what have I just missed? And it was an unbelievable goal. Um, I still think that, I think Rooney's was better. I know people say that he shinned it, but like given the context of that situation, um, 10 minutes to go in a Manchester derby, like, that was a like to, to try that as well, but Garnacho's was incredible. Um, mm. And yeah, United's performance was interesting because in the first half, Everton were the, still the like they were the better team. They carried more of the threat. They had a lot of decent chances. Coby um, Mainu made that clearance off the line. He was excellent. And yeah, um, it kind of makes me feel a little bit better potentially if you know Tottenham have to chuck in some of their young players that they can thrive in that kind of environment. And mm. like you say it wasn't maybe not towards the end of the game because Everton kind of accepted their fate in terms of the result, but it was a ferocious kind of atmosphere and fair play to the Everton fans were kind of whipping that up as well. And I think it, you could tell it really got to the team because I don't, I don't think three 0 was a fair reflection on no. the game, to be honest. Um,
2: in particular, the, that penalty decision as well. Yeah. Right? It was a, seemed interesting. A bit soft.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it was, I don't have a massive problem with it being a penalty, but, you obviously touched on Burnley, who again are still struggling mm. under company. But they obviously went one up in that game and then had a blatant penalty. Or maybe yeah. not blatant penalty, but in the context but... of comparing it to that um Marsh, it was Martial that went down, wasn't it? Like
2: in comparison to that.
1: I don't really understand what the difference is. So that was unfortunate for Burnley, but and it was a bit soft for United. But I actually thought, like, I've always even though like his United career was kind of flat to deceive a little bit, I still think there's value in having Martial in that squad. Like that finish was lovely. I know it kind of like was they were two new up and cruising by that point, but that was a really good finish. I think he kind of still can bring something to United a little bit. Maybe it's getting towards the end, but I wasn't surprised to see him in the team to kind of change it up. I was quite surprised to see Rashford on the right. Um, yeah, and I don't yeah. again. I thought it was a underwhelming performance from Rashford. I know he took the penalty really well, but. Yeah, it's United, again, just like... It was one of their more convincing displays. I will say that. Yes. I think they probably yeah. deserved to win. But, um, again, still still not convinced fully about Man United.
2: Mm. And, Andrea, I thought it was quite a disappointing performance by Everton overall because they didn't seem to anticipate that kind of fan ferrari. They didn't seem as fired up as their fans were. Um, do you still see hope in Everton pulling that ten-point deficit and um, still staying in the league?
0: It's difficult because, um, on one hand, the way they play, it kind of there's a lot of these games that happen where they do just lose like that. But at the same mm. time, they always seem to find a way, um, and maybe they could, they could find. But I just think with what's gone on with the minus ten points, it kind of does you know, from the outskirts, it does kind of filter in and into the pitch as well. And you, I think that's what you could kind of see on that day. Just think the fans were up for it, but I just think obviously the club with the players, they feel obviously that they've worked that hard to get that head head start. And now they've, you know, gone all the way back and it's just like they're back in it again. So, But yeah. um, to be fair, a lot of people say that um, because of the teams in it that, you know, like Luton and Sheffield United Burnley, that they it might be a good time to have got the points and stuff. But I still think, um you know, th- th- you never know during the season. I-, I still think Luton will stay up. I, I-, I said this from the start. I think yeah. a lot of people do say that. I-, I genuinely think they can do it. I agree. Um So I don't think it's that easy to dismiss, like, the three teams that are promoted that they're going to go down straight away. But I do think it does hinder, like, a, um, a team's, like, mentality when you've got that minus points, when you've just worked that hard those games they won. Um, mm. But I still think um, it gives them time to build that mentally up again, you know, trying, you know, so the next coming games we'll kind of see, but the Christmas period will be massive to kind of, like, recoup those points. So, um, yeah, so they could do it, but it's just um, ultimately it's a, it's a big, big step to overcome. But, yeah, they've proven it at the start of the season. They've picked up quite a few points. It's just those minus points. So, yeah, who's to say they can do it again? So,
2: yeah. Fingers crossed, anyway. And uh, before we conclude the Premier League roundup, currently just seeing it's Fulham 2 Wolves 2 as well, with six minutes to go. So, yeah, let's see how that pans out by full time. Uh, Andrea, I knew there was a goal season of the contender for this season in Serie A this weekend. Just got reminded of it. It was Salernitana beating Lazio 2 1. Antonio Candareva bringing oh, yeah. back the years yeah, yeah. with a phenomenal hit from distance. That guy. 37, but he looks like a 17-year-old half the time. Um, maybe it's just his looks and the Sardinian kind of a charm there. But yeah, he, he brings it back. And Salernitana, their first win on the people in Zaghi as well. That was the most important thing. More question marks, though, about Lazio. Sari saying to the press that he, he might have to consider his career. We spoke about this offline. Interesting kind of period for Lazio. They just don't seem as exciting as they were last season. The inconsistencies are there. Clearly, Sarri's just had enough. He just needs some more cigarettes on the sidelines. That's what we think. But, um, yeah, what would you think of that goal of the season contender from Kandereva? It's going to be
0: hard to beat. It was just the power in it. It was unbelievable. Um, but, yeah, I do think going to the Lazio one as well, I think sorry, it just reminds me of Chelsea when it started to fade and, fade and fade and fade and eventually just left. You know, it just ended. I think it's the same thing. And I think it's a shame because Lazio have lost the one thing that made him stand out, which was the exciting attacking football that over the last seasons. And I think it's just, it's all faded now. And it's just, yeah, it's just a matter of time. Unfortunately, it's a shame because still, I still think he can offer something to a team. Um, mm. But perhaps, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. But yeah, it doesn't look like it's going to last. Uh, no, that it long. doesn't.
2: And it does feel like that Sergei Milinkovic-Savic move yeah. to uh, Saudi has probably killed them off a bit because I think had he stayed there, I would have fancied them for the Champions League as well, just to be like outsiders yeah. to it. I felt like last season they did really look the core and it looks exciting as well. Um, but yeah, if we move on to the other fixtures, then also Walter Mazzari secures his first win for Napoli, winning 2-1 in Atalanta. Um, yeah, yeah. Interesting match, it's fair to say. Um, I mean, how, how did you see that result? I mean, I, I wasn't too sure if they would secure a win, but um, there's promising signs, right? Given it's Matsari as well.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I, I was a bit, um, I was actually surprised. I thought it would kind of be a draw or something, but um, I do think it's the first game bounce kind of thing, so I wouldn't get carried away just yet. Yeah. Um, but um, what I will say is that um, I think it was the right decision to. Um, change the manager um, but maybe like Moussari you know he'd done really well at Napoli before before um, when he was previously there so I would never rule it out and um, even they said this about Spalletti when they when De Laurentiis hides Spalletti and then he ended up winning the league so I can never fully rule out a decision from De Laurentiis even though it could sometimes be like bit very debatable um, mm. but they done well they deserved it I'm just I think as well, it's like Antalanta are not the same as they used to be as well. They're like Lazio as well, I think. I think they've kind of lost that that um, that clinical nature, that final third, like scoring goals constantly. Like it's um, So I think, you know, Antalanta have old, probably they wouldn't have got the result, but I think Antalanta now, it's not so surprising that they did get the win. Um, mm. But it's good to see, like, um, you know, the use of players. I thought Raspadori sign was good. So I like to see Raspadori start more games because I think he's a really top player for the national team as well. I hope hope he's our main man. Um, So yeah, um, good win, um, especially away from home. So can't complain.
2: Yeah, totally, totally echo you on that Raspadori point. If he can sort of somehow work out whether. Or how he can play with Osserman awesome, as yeah. well as Kafarat Scalia, that'll be, yeah, amazing. Although I am a bit skeptical about Matsari in general, but let's wait and see, shall we? Um, yeah. Any other results? We've got Calgary drawing with Monza, one all. Um, a bit of a crazy game at Empoli there, Andrea. 3-4 in favour of Sassuolo, Sassuolo just being Sassuolo, just playing right, for that's, fun. That's their that standard, um, yeah. <laughs> that's just standard, you just don't <laughs> yeah. know what to predict with them, but uh, two late goals by Domenico Burradi, again, he's the talismanic man for Sassuolo, the man that doesn't want to be there, right, um, but <laughs> yeah, he still scores the goals and uh, yeah, he's still a heartthrob for Sassuolo fans. Um, Frozzanone, they secure a big win against Genoa Genoa you mentioned earlier as well Andrea but yeah it does feel like they're coming off the rails a bit there's a lot of disharmony behind the scenes with 777 yeah. group um but yeah it's not looking too great i mean have you been impressed by Frozen on him while we speak about that as well oh
0: yeah definitely i think they're really um the organization in particular i think they're really hard to beat and they mm. they can they can hold off well um so I definitely, you know, I definitely see them like staying up and maybe potentially um like quite safely as well. But again, I think it's the same with Genoa. Genoa started off really well. Now they've started to get off a bit of the rails. But I feel like lower teams do go through those phases where they play well and you know, they go for a period where they lose. So um yeah, but definitely impressed with Rosinornia. I think in particular, mm. um, the way they've been playing.
2: Yeah, Matteo Sula in particular seems to just be reborn since he's been unshackled from Juventus and Allegri in particular. It's an interesting quote by Di Francesco saying that he likes to be kind of like given the freedom, creativity opportunities, which he would never get with Allegri, let's face it. Um, nice. So I'm hoping he stays there for the rest of the season, at least so we can see the best of him there as well. And just keep frozen on it in the league. That'd be really nice. I didn't think they'd stay up personally, but they're doing fantastically well. Yeah. Um, ben, we're going to bring up Roma. I mean, I'm just going to ask you a really random question. Do you miss your mummy's c- cooking? Cause that's the quote that uh, Jose brought up in. Hey, Hey, Uh, interview about his players he says Roma players don't perform away from home because they miss their mama and papa's and nonna's more importantly Andrea nonna's cooking right that's what it was um so yeah Ben do you miss your mum's cooking I do
1: I do fortunately (laughs) I still I still get to sample it on a very regular occasion but I think with Mourinho (laughs) like it's just like some of the stuff that he comes out, like this is why people love Mourinho because he's box office, right? Like some of the stuff that he comes <laughs> out with, not many managers would say stuff like that. And I mean, it's kind of that classic Mourinho thing of also just like deflecting blame onto the players and throwing kind of them under the bus rather than taking any actual responsibility, which was definitely symptomatic of what he did at Spurs as well. Um mm. He never kind of like, he never shielded any of that at all. <laughs> um but, you know, it may be sometimes, sometimes he's, sometimes he might be right, you know, like he might, you know, he there's a reason why he's one of the most successful managers ever kind of in the history of the game. Um So, yeah, but to answer your question,
2: I do. Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> well, Roma did secure a fantastic win over Udinese. Andrea, I thought it'd be another draw because that's what Udinese are specialists at, but yeah, some fantastic goals by Dybala and El-Shirari. El-Shirari's career is just renaissance since his time with uh, Mourinho. Mourinho seems to just pick these plays just randomly that just need a bit of loving and El-Shirari one of them, but what a fantastic hit that was for the third one.
0: Definitely. Um, Yeah, I've been really impressed with El-Shirari as well, even for the national team. He came on and scored against Macedonia as well, North Macedonia as well. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I mean, he had that hype when he was younger, but he never fulfilled yeah. it. But, um, yeah, I just think Mourinho is its just, again, one of the key things of a manager, getting the best out of your players. And I think El Sharari there's a player there that can do something, he, even if it's a sub, you know. So, I think fair play. I think, yeah. he's And he's done that quite often, you know, for Roma coming on and saving them. remember the Sassuolo one, I think it was a few years ago last year, when he scored the last minute to win the game. Like, yeah, so he's... um. Yeah, he's a good option. Um, yeah, it's good to see him like doing well, to be honest. Especially with the hype that he used to have, because I thought he was going to be the one. <laughs> I yeah. thought he was going to be like the new Ronaldo. But yeah, never yeah,
2: happens. Never <laughs> happens. Yeah. Um, and just to conclude it, so the games that played today, so Hellas Verona secured a 2 all draw with Lecce, so it means they're not bottom of the table there. And uh, Bologna secured a 2-0 win against uh, Torino. Uh, some, yeah, well, We'll kind of cover that on I, f- I would say on Thursday's pod. Um but that brings us to the end of this live stream. So many thanks to you, Andrea and Ben. Um so let's just get you to plug your stuff. So we'll start off with Andrea. Andrea, where can our listeners and viewers find you, more importantly?
0: Uh yeah, so just on um, TikTok at that the Fiorentina fan, enjoying life on TikTok. So <laughs> talking all things Viola and also the Italian national team as well. Um but yeah. Um, you'll
2: find me on there, mainly. No, great stuff. Make sure you check out the stuff. Very brutal, very to the point, And more importantly, it's all honest. So uh, yeah, yeah, great having yeah. you on, Andrea. And Ben, great having you as well. Likewise, uh, where can the listener and viewer find you as well? Uh, thank you, Adam. I appreciate it. Yeah, same as, same as Andrea. I'm over on TikTok.
1: Ben talks football, mainly talking about Spurs, but also everything that's going on in the Premier League. I try to be as honest as possible about Tottenham as well um and kind of just like yeah just talking everything throughout about the club and yeah en- enjoying life on tiktok sometimes it can be a little bit of a a bit of a pain sometimes interesting
2: fest isn't it like yeah it is, some interesting yeah. comments
1: let's put it that it makes way. it <laughs> makes twitter look normal sometimes
2: <laughs> um i don't know yeah, i don't know well, twitter x has its moments let's put it that yeah, way that's true. um that's true. yeah great avenue on ben to summarize there and viewers Make sure you do the like and subscribe that we really appreciate it for us. If anything, give us some questions, maybe some topics you want us to cover off as well on the live streams or just in general, maybe a video of some sort. So that'd be really appreciated. But alternatively, you can check us out on Twitter or X at Italian Anglo pod, or you can check us out on Twitter as well as TikTok at Anglo Italian pod. But for now, guys, yeah great having you on rory will be back with me on thursday's pod and i'll be doing this next monday so for now ciao ciao and we'll see you next week take care guys
0: Podcast Network.